Greetings and love to all of you. My name is Brother Bhumananda, and it's a real joy to be with you all, and so inspiring to realize that all of us are tuning in with this annual convocation program from all parts of the world, South America, throughout the United States, India, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, and forgive me if I don't mention your country, because if I mention all the countries, I have to be here a long, long time. We have a big subject today, meditation, the journey to spiritual freedom. To cover this subject comprehensively would probably take about 10 hours. So I'm just going to cover a few of the main points that I hope will be helpful to you. For those of you who are new, if you would like to learn more about meditation, everything from A to Z, we encourage you to enroll for the Self-Realization Fellowship lessons. In those lessons are the sacred meditation techniques taught by Paramahansa Yogananda and all the different aspects of meditation you'll ever need to know about. And what you'll find as you go on, as many of us have found, is that these lessons will be a wonderful lifelong companion to you in your journey back to God. So today I want to start by asking you a question. Do you remember the first time you had a real experience of meditation? What it felt like? I think for most of us, it was like suddenly this door opened up before us and there it was, the possibility for a life filled with such beauty and peace and joy, such communion with God, perhaps something we just never conceived possible. Some years ago, I, when I was living at the ashram in Encinitas, California, one day, one of the monks came up to me and he said, tomorrow we have a group of high school students coming to see the meditation gardens and their teacher wants to know if someone can lead them in a meditation. And so I said, sure, I'll be uh, happy to help. So the next morning, we have this group of 12, maybe 15 students. Most of them had never meditated before. And so we took them into the retreat chapel and I led them in a meditation not too long, about maybe 15 minutes or so. But there was a feeling of deep peace and they were very calm, very still. And I thought, Divine Mother, you're really giving them something special here. And afterwards I told them, I said, you know, I'm so impressed with all of you. You were so calm and so disciplined and so peaceful. And I could tell they liked hearing that. And then they left and I forgot all about it. Well, a couple years after that, a couple of us monks were at this interfaith event hosted by the city of Encinitas. Each year they have an annual prayer breakfast and they invite representatives from all the local temples and churches. That year, the main speakers were this young woman and this young man and they did a nice job and after they were graduating seniors from one of the local schools. And afterwards, as we were leaving, the young man saw me and ran up kind of excited 
And he said, Brother Bumananda, do you remember me? I didn't, but it turns out he was with this group of students a couple years earlier that I had led in the meditation. And then he got a little choked up, emotional, and he couldn't talk for a moment. And then he said to me, you know, that meditation we had, I'll never forget it. In that meditation, I experienced God. And those were his words. In that meditation, I experienced God. And I don't know that I can really add anything to that because that's the whole substance and the purpose of these teachings of Kriya Yoga that Paramahansa Yogananda gives. By following these principles of scientific living and scientific meditation, the devotee is led very quickly to direct, personal, tangible, transformative experience of God. In the Upanishads of India, one of the sacred scriptures of India, it says this, If thou canst transcend the body and perceive thyself as spirit, thou shalt be eternally blissful, free from all pain. And Sri Dayamada, who served as the third president of Self-Realization Fellowship and was such a wonderful inspiration for us through the years, she once said, when I see people whose minds are troubled by so many problems, frustrations, unhappiness, disappointments, my heart aches for them. Why are human beings plagued by such experiences? For one reason, forgetfulness of the divine once they have come. If you once realize that the lack in your life is one, God, and then set about to remove that lack by striving to fill yourself with the consciousness of God in daily meditation, the time will come when you will be so complete, so utterly fulfilled, that nothing will be able to shake or disturb you. And the words of our guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, the longer and deeper you meditate and affirm, the deeper will you feel and be conscious of the ever-increasing joy in your heart. Then you will know without doubt that there is a God and that he is ever-existing, ever-conscious, omnipresent, ever-new joy. So, this journey of meditation that we're all on, where is it taking us to? The state where we're free from all pain, and that includes freedom from the threefold suffering of body, mind, and soul. The state, the consciousness where you feel so secure, such a deep peace and completeness that nothing that happens can disturb that inner calm, that inner serenity. And the experience of ever new joy in our hearts. And as that joy grows and expands, we realize that joy is God himself. God is conscious, omnipresent, ever new joy.
Now, one challenge that every devotee who meditates, who seek God, who's seeking God faces, and that is how do you feed the fire? How do you maintain this great yearning for God that is essential for success on the spiritual path? Many of you will remember our dear brother Anandamoy, one of the monks who was with Master, who was another wonderful example for us. And he often spoke of the last talk that Master gave to the monks, his final instructions to the monks before he left this world. And in that talk, Master said this, no one else can give you the desire for God. You must cultivate that yourself. The Lord himself can't give it to you. Learn to want him. And something the saintly advanced disciple Gyanamada once wrote to Dayama when Dayama was a young girl in the ashram. Gyanamada said, see nothing, look at nothing but your goal ever shining before you. And one way we keep that goal ever shining is through daily deep study of the Guru's teachings. And you will find as you study the Guru's teachings every day, a, a most beautiful thing happens. Gradually, the Guru's thoughts become your thoughts. They become a permanent part of your consciousness and they keep you calm, strong, positive as you face the varied experiences in life. I remember there were certain passages that Brother Anandamoy used to recommend. And one of these was the chapter, it's in Autobiography of a Yogi, An Experience in Cosmic Consciousness. And when you deeply read that chapter, don't just think, well, what a wonderful experience this God-realized guru had, but also think this experience of samadhi that Paramahansaji had, someday, someday, me too. Because he always emphasized that. He used to tell the devotees sometimes, you are all Yoganandas. And he would tell them the only difference, I made the effort until God came to me. In that chapter is our Guru's poem, Samadhi. And he encouraged devotees multiple times to memorize that. And I remember the first time I memorized that poem, I was a young monk in the ashram. And for several days afterwards, no matter what I was doing, these thoughts from the poem were just filtering through my consciousness, and I felt like I was almost in kind of an exalted state. It was very nice. Vanish the veils of light and shade, lifted every vapor of sorrow. Can you imagine a consciousness where there's not a trace of sorrow, not a vapor of sorrow? From joy I came, for joy I live, in sacred joy I melt. I in everything enter the great myself. These are not 
ordinary thoughts. They are not even just inspired thoughts. These thoughts are perceptions of God from a God-united master. And when you deeply absorb these thoughts, put your attention on these thoughts, you will find that your yearning for God is intensified and your determination to experience God through your practice of these teachings and meditation techniques increases 10 times, 100 times. In the ashram, we generally don't watch TV, but one exception, sometimes we'll watch some of the Olympics. And I remember when Brother Anandamoy was alive with us, he used to enjoy watching the Olympics. He was quite a fan of them. And there was a time when I wondered about that because Brother, you have to understand, he was a very simple monk, totally one-pointed in his search for God. And so I would have the thoughts, well, why does Brother like the Olympics so much when he could be spending that time in solitude, in meditation or reading Master's words? But there was a reason for it. And Brother explained to us a couple times that he felt those Olympic athletes were quite good examples in a sense, in that they set a goal and then their whole life, all their time and attention and energy totally absorbed in accomplishing the goal they set. And he would tell us when they shift and make God the number one goal with that concentration, with that one-pointedness and determination, they're going to make progress very quickly on the spiritual path. One of the Olympic athletes I remember, I very much like to watch her. Her name was Bonnie Blair. She was an American, a speed skater, and she won probably about four or five gold medals over the course of several Olympics. And I used to enjoy watching her, not as much during the event, but before. I used to love watching her face as the athletes were around the line waiting to begin the race, because on her face, you could just see it, the desire to win. Every thought, every emotion, it seemed every cell of her being was absorbed in one thing, I want to win and what she had to do to accomplish that. So how does this apply to meditation? Of course, we, you know, we don't want to get all pumped up. In meditation, we have to be very calm and very relaxed. But here's the point. Before meditation, you have to prepare. Don't go into it mechanically uh, thinking about your problems, your relationships, uh, things you have to do at work, make that effort to, right before you even sit to meditate, throw that consciously, throw that out of your mind. And just tell yourself, this is my time with God and there's nothing more important in my life. Brother Bhaktananda, who was another monk with Master, and he was another great example, he used to tell us that Whatever spiritual practice you're engaged in, at that moment, it has to be the number one 
priority in your life, the most important thing. It's not enough just to practice the meditation techniques. What we want is inspired practice of the meditation techniques. So first what you do, give yourself a little pep talk before you meditate. Rouse that desire for God, that love for God. And in that consciousness, you sit down and you meditate. And sometimes it's not easy. Granted, even for me, you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and the first thought that will come out, I'm feeling kind of lethargic. And so the first thought comes, I don't want to meditate. Kind of this little whiny voice, you know, and sometimes we have to deal with these things. And here, you know, I've been on the path many, many years and still at times these thoughts come. Can you imagine? It just shows how tenacious that unwillingness to meditate is. But I never accept that. What I do, I put my mind real strong at the Kateska Center, the center of will and concentration. And I affirm real strongly using Master's words, this can wait and that can wait but your search for God cannot wait. And then I'll jump out of bed and sometimes I'll even make it kind of fun and I'll salute master's picture, you know, kind of a, a military salute. And I'll say, reporting for divine duty, sir. I'm ready to plunge into the infinite. So when you don't feel like meditation, don't accept it. Just tell yourself, this can wait, that can wait, but my search for God is not going to wait. And then do it. One thing I really want to emphasize is the importance of the Kriya Yoga techniques that Paramahansaji gives us in the SRF lessons. From time to time, review the lessons on these techniques. Now these include the energization exercises, the Hong Sa technique of concentration, the Om technique of meditation and Kriya Yoga proper, and review the lessons on these and the benefits that Paramahansaji gives for practicing these because these will intensify your yearning for God and your yearning to experience God through this path of Kriya Yoga. The reason these techniques are so effective is they work with the very thing that binds us to mortal consciousness and that is the life force. Normally, the life force is flowing down the spine and out through the sensory nerves. And as it does so, this material world and this body is the only reality that we know. But by practice of these techniques of pranayam, pranayam means life force control. Gradually with patience and determined practice, we become more adept at reversing the flow so we're pulling the energy through the techniques away from the senses, away from the muscles into the spine and brain where the higher centers of spiritual perception are, turning off the material consciousness as we begin to enter those higher realms of spiritual consciousness and become aware of ourselves not as a body, but as the divine soul. I remember Shraddha who was a wonderful disciple of our guru, 
here during his lifetime, she once shared with us that he said to her this, practice your techniques. It is through practice of the techniques that I can help you. So now I'm going to cover an aspect of meditation that's a little bit complex. And I've really given this some thought, and so I'm hoping I can present it in terms that will be easy to understand. And most of all, of course, that there'll be something here that will be helpful to you. So here we go. Wish me luck. In his book, The Holy Science, Swami Sri Yukteswar speaks of the Om, the cosmic vibration, as the beginning of all creation and that it has several aspects. And one of these that Sri Yukteswar mentions is Kala, which is time. Sri Yukteswar calls time, he describes it as this, the idea of change in the ever unchangeable. God never changes, but God's creation is constantly changing under the illusion of time. And another aspect of the cosmic om is desha, which is the concept or idea of space. And Sri Yukteswar describes space as follows. The idea of division in the ever indivisible. And he explains that time and space in the ultimate sense are nothing more than ideas ideas in the consciousness of God, part of this delusory creation that we're so familiar with. Paramahansaji now, he explains that the devotee who knows God goes beyond time and space. And this is described very clearly in his poem Samadhi. Present past, future, no more for me, but ever-present, all-flowing I, I everywhere. Ever-present, all-flowing I, I everywhere. The devotee in samadhi experiences God in the eternal now, no such thing as past, present, and future. And that devotee experiences the blissful consciousness of God everywhere, anywhere no such thing as space. Now, here's the important point, and this is why I'm bringing this whole thing up. We don't have to wait for samadhi to experience this in our meditations. It comes in degrees. And I'll share a little story that I hope will illustrate this. Some years back, I was in India for a short trip. Now, when I was in India, they took me to different temples and I just loved it. it these holy, ancient, sacred places to walk around and feel the presence of God. Sometimes it almost felt like you were drunk. That perception of God's presence was so strong. And we always made it a point to have a, at least a little meditation in these sacred spots also. But there was one temple they took me to I did not much like. 
And that was because I felt it was too commercialized, as can happen in temples of East and West. As we, it was an old famous temple in Kolkata. And as we approached the temple, walking on the streets, there were all these stalls selling different things. And different people would come up to us and ask us for money to do different services. It was kind of a real hustle bustle type environment. Well, we waited about an hour to approach the altar so that we could offer our devotion. And when I came up to the image, the temple was dedicated to Ma Kali, an aspect of Divine Mother. And when I came up to the image, very devotedly, I pronomed and closed my eyes to feel the presence of God. And the temple priests quickly grabbed me by the shoulders and gave me a big push. <laughs> so moved to keep the line moving forward. So I didn't much like that. And it was quite noisy. Also, it was almost like they took a hundred school children and gave them all bells and drums and cymbals and told them, it doesn't matter what you play, but make it loud. So at times it was a bit deafening. Well, as we left the altar, one of the monks who was with me said, there's a nice portico area behind the altar. We'll go there and meditate. And I have to admit my first response was, meditate here? You've got to be kidding. But then I thought, no, of course, this is a temple. It doesn't matter. We should meditate. So we sat down in the portico area. And as soon as I lifted my gaze to the Christ Center and I did a few Kriyas, it all changed. It was unbelievable. There was still the noise, but it was way off in the distance. It wasn't intrusive anymore. And the main thing, there was a strong feeling of peace and of the presence of God. And I wasn't alone. I think the other monks had a very similar experience. We meditated there for maybe 15 minutes or so, and then we left. But I was thinking about it afterwards. And the first thought was, you know, after all these years of Korea practice, and I see I can sit in any environment and meditate and feel the presence of God. And it was a very satisfying feeling to realize that. But the other thought that came to me was as soon as we put our gaze and attention at the Christ Center, the Kateska Center, we were no longer in that temple. We had transcended this idea of space to some degree. We were in, I think Master calls it at times, the wallless temple of spirit, where it's much easier to feel and experience the presence of God. Now, here's the thing. Many of you have had this experience. Perhaps you haven't realized it, but I'll prove it to you. If you've ever joined our online meditation center, or perhaps your local center meditation group for a longer meditation, and so you're having a nice meditation, you're very focused and absorbed, feeling much peace, and then the leader announces after a time, uh, we'll have our closing prayer now, and so you pray, and then you open your eyes, 
And it's almost like a little bit of a shock or a surprise, a little startling, and you realize, oh, I'm here in the living room, connected with the devotees by Zoom, or oh, I'm here in the chapel, sitting with the other devotees. Well, when this happens, you've transcended the limitation of space to some degree, and you've transcended to that higher dimension, that greater reality, where God is more tangible. So now let's talk about the element of time in meditation. In the beginning, when we're learning to meditate, we tend to be pretty conscious of time. We're counting the minutes, most of us, at least I did, because it's a battle in the beginning, and perhaps the first battle we succeed with, we learn to sit still for 15 minutes or so without moving. So in the beginning, it's understandable one's time consciousness, but you have to go beyond that because that counting the minutes will work against you in terms of going deeper in meditation. So very good rule to establish for yourself in the beginning. When you, as soon as you plant yourself and sit in meditation, make it a rule you never, never, never look at your watch or clock. If you need to end the meditation at a certain amount of time, set your alarm and then forget time. And all and that will help you with the depth. Now, after one has been on the path and meditating for some years, a different obstacle can surface. And that is there can be a tendency to almost unconsciously equate spiritual progress, not with depth of meditation, but with the number of hours or minutes one is spending in the meditation. But master and certainly master encouraged devotees to have longer meditations as they were able to, but more important, he emphasized depth always has to come first. We always have to be, doesn't mean we're perfect in attaining depth, but we're always working toward it, striving for it. Myrna Lenima tells a very nice story. When she was a young devotee in the ashram, at one point, Master took her and a few others out to this place in Arizona, in the desert, I think it was, where he was working on his writings. Now, in those days, the devotees did not have a huge amount of time to meditate because Master knew he didn't have much time left in this world, and he had much work to do with his writings, so he kept them very busy. But still, one morning, Myrna Laney Ma got up early. She made a special effort to have a longer meditation. And it wasn't especially deep meditation, but still she felt satisfied that she had made the effort, and perhaps as she expresses it, maybe even a little uh, spiritually proud that she had had a longer meditation. Well, when Master saw her that morning, the first thing he said to her was, you didn't meditate this morning. And she was shocked. And she said, but Guruji, I meditated a whole hour. And he quickly said, half an hour should have been enough. Later, she thought about that and she thought, now what is he trying to teach me here? And she realized what he was saying to her was, you may have meditated an hour, 
You may have sat an hour in meditation, but if you had meditated with greater depth and intensity, you would have received more from half that time in meditation. So you see, even saints like Myrna Lenima, and in my mind she certainly is a saint, a great saint, they have to go through these lessons too. I always find that very comforting for myself when I'm having to go through challenges. So never be satisfied thinking that, well, my concentration's no good, but look at all the time. I'm spending in meditation. That won't really help you. Long meditation, again, don't get me wrong, long meditation is good, but always work toward depth. And sometimes it can actually be quite valuable to have a short meditation, but really give it your all and see how much of God you can experience in a short meditation. Here's something Paramahansaji said, forget time. Forget everything but that you love God and that you want Him only. Your zeal must be such that when you sit to meditate, you are determined to keep knocking at the doors of eternity until you feel His blissful presence. It isn't always the length of time spent in meditation that is important, but rather the zeal, the ardor that one puts into his meditations. Now back to this question, how do you go beyond time when you meditate? My experience is you just concentrate on the present moment at hand and you try to make that present moment, just that instant, as beautiful as you possibly can with your sincerity, with your devotional attitude, with your efforts to concentrate. I'll give an example. In this life, I've had, I guess you could say, a fair share of physical karma to work out. Not as much, I think, as some of you, but still, it's at times, has been significant. And so one way, at times, it's impacted me is when I sit to have my weekly long meditation, and I try for six hours, uh, sometimes right at the beginning, there's discomfort and even a little pain. And so the thought comes, how can you possibly have your long meditation here? Here it is at the beginning and you're having a difficult time. I never listen to those thoughts. Never. What I do, I just, I don't even think I'm here to meditate for six hours or for hours or for a long time. I just think, let me make this next moment as good, as concentrated, as beautiful as I can. And I plunge my whole heart into just that moment. And what I find is I keep doing that. And I keep doing that and I keep doing that. And then suddenly, at some point, I'll realize, oh, I guess I've been here a while. Maybe it's time to have a little intermission because usually in the middle, I'll have a little intermission like we do at the uh, Christmas meditation. And then so then I'll look and several hours have gone by. So what has happened, I've through keep trying to concentrate on the present moment, I've transcended 
the limitation of time to some degree. One wonderful technique for doing that is the Hong Sa technique because through practice of the Hong Sa, you very much get put in that present moment and nothing else. And Kriya Yoga the Kriya Yoga technique is also a wonderful technique. In fact, once I was teaching a Kriya class and I had some fun with the devotees and I told uh, this question of how, what's the best number of Kriyas to practice came up. And so I told them, well, for me, I just practice one Kriya. And then they kind of looked shocked, some of them, you know, because as a, a senior monk, you should be practicing more than just one Kriya. And so I told them, but I practice that one Kriya as perfectly as I can. And they're still looking at me kind of suspiciously because still, but then I tell them, and when I'm done with that one Kriya, you know what I do? I practice one Kriya again. And I try to make that one as perfect as I can. And then one Kriya again. But I'm always practicing one Kriya. And so that's the point. Always trying to make that moment of meditation as exquisitely beautiful as you can with your sincerity, with your love for God, with your efforts to concentrate. And, you know, uh, let me just add, I think many of you have transcended time, this idea of time in your meditations. And again, I'll prove it to you. If you've ever attended the all-day Christmas meditation, and so you have a nice first half, and you're very much in the spirit of the meditations, very calm, much more perhaps deeper than you usually are, and then the leader announces it's time for the intermission and your first thought is, wait a minute, she's making a mistake. There's no way four hours have gone by. But she hasn't made a mistake. That indicates that you have transcended this delusion, this limitation of time to some degree. There's one more point. I want to cover in this presentation today. I want to talk a little bit about the grace of God and how that relates to meditation because I find that most understand this intellectually, but many do not fully understand the implications of this for them as a devotee. Paramahansaji said on the spiritual path, success is 25% the devotee's effort and sincerity, 25% the blessings of the guru, 50% the grace of God. And he also said, there is a personal element in the search for God that is more important than mastery over the whole science of yoga. Seeking God, it's not a cold mathematical science. The reality is you are God's child. He loves you. And that love of God for each and every one of you as his children is the strongest force in all creation. So, the important thing to remember, we're on this journey of meditation. 
of self-realization. And in this journey, we are never alone, not for one instant, not for one step. God and God through the guru are ever with the devotee, every step of the way, silently watching over us, guiding us, blessing us. There's an episode from the Bible I very much love, and this is when Jesus was crucified with the two thieves, and the first thief is angry and bitter, and he's actually yelling at Jesus, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the second thief is very different, and he rebukes the first one, saying, we've received the just rewards for our evil deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong, and then very sincerely, he appeals to Christ. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And I'd like to, I'd like to read some of Paramahansaji's words on this passage. We see the wonder of divine intercession in how a thief, by his prayers to the Almighty Lord manifest in Jesus, was granted liberation in spirit. It was in the astral paradise that Jesus promised to meet the thief, where both of them would be, quote, today, immediately after physical death. After Jesus reached the supreme state by ascending out of his astral and causal bodies into cosmic consciousness, he could then also take the soul of the redeemed thief into the abode of the completely liberated. Paramahansaji explains that much of that thief's karma was removed through that painful death by crucifixion, but it was the grace of God and the blessings of God expressing through the guru, in this instance, Jesus, that lifted that repentant thief to the higher astral regions and then, as Paramahansaji explains, to the abode of the completely liberated, which is no small thing. Paramahansaji said, no matter how great one's sins, they will be forgiven if the devotee loves God deeply enough. Enough is the decisive factor. Truth is, at any moment, at any instant, God can lift you above your karma and free you completely. That's the truth. But it is our sincerity, our dedicated persistence on the spiritual uh, path, our practice of the meditation techniques with much love, devotion to God, that is the catalyst that opens wide that channel through which God's grace and blessings flow. I know of one devotee. She's had some struggles with depression and anxiety, and she's been on the path for many years, and she's been very persistent, very regular, and faithful in making the spiritual effort, but still the struggles with depression 
and anxiety have continued and she's done everything she's supposed to be doing. She's sought professional help and counseling and she's come to me a couple times and she's basically said, here I am after all these years of spiritual effort and I'm still having these struggles. I feel like I'm a spiritual failure. And I tell her, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. She sees herself as a spiritual failure. I see her as a spiritual, I see her as a spiritual beauty. Meaning, in the eyes of God and the guru, I think that's just the most beautiful thing. When some, just think of it, she's had these challenges for all these years and yet she hasn't given up. She's still trying every day. And there's no doubt in my mind that when the time is right, God and Guru are going to reach down. And I know that someday I'll see her in those high astral realms and she'll just be filled with light and joy. And then I get to tell her, I'm going to tell her, you see, I told you so. And I look forward to that. So the thing is, no matter what the challenge is, and we all have them at times, keep trying, never feel discouraged, and always follow with much love. That's the saving grace. I was fortunate to learn this lesson very early in my spiritual life. What happened, it was the time that I received Kriya initiation, and I was due to attend the ceremony in the evening here at the Mother Center. And devotees at the temple had told me what a wonderful, inspiring ceremony it was. Well, that day I had some trouble with my back. And so throughout the ceremony, I was in some discomfort and pain. And also when the minister took time to explain how to practice the technique, for some reason, I didn't get it. It was hard for me to understand him, almost like he was speaking in another language. So I came home, left the ceremony, not really understanding how to practice the sacred Kriya technique. When I was home, I meditated, I tried to practice, and it felt like I didn't know what I was doing. So it was very frustrating. But I thought, well, you've had a rough day. You'll get a good night's sleep, and in the morning it will go better. And so in the morning, when I woke, my first thought was meditation, let's practice the Kriya. And so I had my meditation, but when it came time to practice the Kriya, again, it felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And at that point, something inside me just snapped. And I took my Kriya beads and I flung them against the wall. And I said to myself, this is it, I'm done. I'm through. I'm not going to practice anymore. And then I looked at the large picture of Master on my altar, and his eyes were just filled with love and blessing. And the thought came very strong in my mind, and it wasn't my thought. This I know. And he said, but do you love me? And I said, yes, sir, with all my heart. But I'm still not going to practice anymore. And then again, his eyes were filled with such love and blessing. And this time, the thought that came was very firm. If you love me, follow me. And at that point, my resistance just 
crumbled, evaporated, because I understood. I understood completely, and that understanding has not left me for one instant in all these years. When one accepts a true God-united guru as his own and becomes a disciple of that guru, a sacred pact is formed. And this is for those of us who receive Kriya Yoga initiation, we form that relationship with Paramahansa Yogananda. The guru promises to lead that soul to liberation, no matter how long that may take. And it is the responsibility of the disciple to do your best each day to follow with much love no matter what happens. Doesn't matter what someone else is or is not receiving on the spiritual path. What very much matters is, am I doing my sincere best to please God, to follow God through the guru he has drawn me to? And you know, after a while, you just know with every cell of your being, every fiber of your being, you know that if you follow the Guru sincerely, with much love, it's all taken care of. And with that comes a sense of absolute, complete security, that no matter what comes in life, everything's all right. Because you have a Guru, and he has given you the path to enlightenment, and he's looking after you. And so, let me just close with these words of Paramahansaji. If you start now with a heart full of devotion for God, with the help of the principles and techniques of self-realization, and the spiritual blessing of the Self-Realization Fellowship Gurus, you shall race toward the joy of spirit. So this concludes our class, and I hope there's been at least a few things here that will be helpful to you in your meditations, in your search for God. And if you click on the link below, you're very much welcome to join us for a short guided meditation where we'll be practicing some of these things that I've spoken about. And we wish you much joy and infinite happiness as you continue on this journey of meditation and self-realization. May God bless us all.